This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And once again, Bob Olin on the horn with us. Hello, Bob. Good to talk to you again. Well, good morning, Tom. I hope you really had a a really enjoyable um, Christmas weekend and looking forward to the new year. I did. You know, uh, it's interesting because, uh, and I think that I've told you before, that um, my family, especially my dad, I mean, we're all we're all growers in our own right, some better than others. Uh, I've always paled in comparison to what my father has done. Uh, but um, <laughs> number, both my brothers gave me jars of salsa for for uh, Christmas. We we decided that we weren't going to, because, you know, we're getting long in the tooth, Bob. And we, we've decided <laughs> we're... Oh, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we've decided that, you know, the gift exchanging we do in our family now is all going to be homemade stuff. Uh, and that's what wow. we did. We exchanged uh, a lot of different things. Uh, Mary Beth actually made uh, some, like, chopped up peppers, like a pepper medley in, in olive oil. Uh, with a, we, peppers wow. were... Better than I've ever seen uh, in this area uh, this summer, hands down. Yeah, better than I've ever seen. So we had um, lots of us exchanging produce, even as you know Christmas rolls around, and uh, <laughs> that's what we did. And and thought of you, Bob. Uh, in, <laughs> as far I really as really like that idea. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it saves money, and plus, uh, you know, it's a little more thoughtful. So yeah, that's what it we really did. Really is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a lot of fun. We had a big family get get together as well, and uh, of course, everybody is kind of a standard joke. You know, I like to grow a lot of different things, and uh, everybody got a collection of garlic, uh, potatoes, and onions in addition to nice. other things. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So you know, it's coming from this old guy, but anyway, uh, it's uh, that's very interesting uh, tradition there, and it shows some. You know, individual thought and creativity, and the fact you got. The, did you receive the salsa gifts again, or were you giving those? Uh, I received a man. We gave them. <laughs> so okay. it's like, oh, well, here's some of mine, and here's some of yours, and and you know, we all did other things too, made soups and things like that. So it was a. Uh, it was the first time we've done that, and hopefully, many years from now, we'll we'll be doing the same thing. I don't know. I think it just carries a little more weight and thoughtfulness, and you know, effort and and. Obviously, it's less money, so that's why we're doing it. But, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that helps. It maybe a little less uh, shopping hassle as well there. So yeah. that's uh, that's really nice. That's kind of a nice family tradition. I haven't heard it before, but I got to adopt uh, some of that myself. Yeah, I think that's great. It's interesting. You, know, you talk. Oh, go ahead. I was just I gonna... was just going to see. <laughs> go ahead. We got a little delay here. <laughs> we were. I was just going to say that in my backyard yesterday, and I. Uh, went out there and the ground isn't even frozen, Bob. It's it's such a strange thing that it's it's. I don't yeah. think it's. I mean, maybe you're a little bit deeper down, but it doesn't seem like there's a frost line yet. Yeah, this is what's really amazing. As a matter of fact, uh, part of a mission today, we're going to be still fencing. We put in a little orchard on a Make-A-Wish project. We're going to be putting in some poles through the ground, and we got just a break this year. We're going to be able to do it in a very very unusual year. When we look. At the year just passed, and, you know, we're coming into the New Year's, uh, and you kind of like to review what's been going on. We set records everywhere, and uh, this is kind of extraordinary. Maybe the rest of the contiguous United States as well as the world is setting records, but uh, let me take you back, Tom, just a little bit. Then I would love love to talk with you a little bit about your comments about peppers, because uh, 
they have become uh, very fashionable in many, many ways, not just the hot peppers, but the sweet peppers. And, of course, we set a new record for the hottest pepper, according to Guinness, Pepper Pepper X. We could talk a little bit about that, but your comment on peppers is kind of interesting. But in the meantime, Tom, can I take you back to last year? Everyone remembers last year because and everybody's got the snowmobile or the, the snowblower, probably the snowmobile and the snowblower, all set uh, for another record snowfall, which, of course, at this point, has not happened yet. Uh, but last year, we set the records in terms of snowfall. We got it early, so we had, again, no frost in the ground at all. We had that insulating layer on top. We had a uh, record snowfall, uh, and then a very, very gentle uh, snow uh, melt there where we had very, very little flooding, and most of that water was absorbed down into the soil, which is great from a growing perspective, great from the perspective of forests and perennial landscapes of all types. And then all of a sudden we went dry. Uh, May and June were the driest two uh, spring months on record ever, so we set another record there. The amazing thing, when the rest of the world was setting heat records, you know, in the month of July, it was even a half degree cooler for us than average. It just happened to be such remarkable uh, temperature figures. There's a couple of them still stick in my mind. Our average temperature in July was 75.5 degrees, just about perfect as daytime temperatures. Nighttime temperatures were up as well. So we had, and then we moved into this real droughty period. In some areas, we were actually at the what they call the epicenter of the drought in northeastern Minnesota. As we moved a little bit farther north into St. Louis County, they had more rain, but a little farther south, we got a lot of listeners in Carlton, very, very hot, dry. Not hot, but dry. And uh, then all of a sudden uh, in September, it started to rain, and uh, we went from a real droughty, very dry year, below average precipitation, to actually for the year, above average precipitation. And, of course, we're moving along that uh, that line right up here through Christmas. So what a remarkable year setting records. Uh, Tom, I'm not sure what this means for gardeners. It can't be all bad for us. Uh, the fact that we don't have any snow on the ground now and the potential to dry frost very deep is which concerns me just a little bit. Uh, ground is absorbing this moisture at this point, which is great. Um, more than anything, last year I think it taught so many of us that uh, moisture and consistent moisture is really one of the real keys to uh, to quality growing in your backyard garden. And uh, you can do it in your containers a little bit easier than you can outdoors. But nonetheless, I think watering and watering consistency, it's one of the themes that we're going to be talking about with some of our educational offerings coming up here. Not only is it important just for plant growth, but all the water comes to the, all the nutrients come to the plant through the available availability of moisture. So, if you need nitrogen, it's not going to come in to any degree through the foliage or the leaves. It's got to come up through the root system. It's got to be soluble, dissolved in that water supply. And if it, these nutrients aren't delivered in a real consistent manner, uh, then you get actually nutrient deficiencies. Actually, the farther away you are from the main stem, the greater the likelihood. So we get the uh, this phenomenon called blossom end rot on tomatoes where we don't have uh, calcium delivered all the way to the blossom end or the distal end, the far end of the fruit itself, and the, the fruit just begins to blacken and decay due to lack of uh, calcium in this case because it wasn't consistently delivered. Uh, in most cases, available in the soil, but if we don't have consistent watering, we don't get consistent delivery of this particular nutrient. Blossom end rot's actually a major factor on, on peppers and pepper production as well where we see this decline, and that's not 
if you're out in your mineral soil in the backyard garden, that's not availability of calcium. It's one of the macronutrients available in the soil, but it is about getting it out through that entire uh, fruit of the peppers that's beginning to develop. So uh, watering, water consistency, the availability of water, uh, nighttime, daytime, and there's a lot of factors that go into delivering uh, a consistent water supply. So that was one thing that really stood out with this rather remarkable year. Uh, peppers are interesting, Tom. Maybe we could talk a little bit about Tom did attend our Salsa Fest. We had a good time. At least I had a good time with that, Tom, and it was really nice to have you participating. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that and uh, your uh, good companion there that was uh, brought us some salsas for the contest. It was very, very enjoyable. Yeah, and, and truth be told, Mary Beth is the one that grew all the peppers that did so well this year that that uh, I've just never seen anything like it. But she did it in pots, and I know that you've touted the benefits of doing that in the past. And well, we can talk a little bit more about that. And also, you know, maybe, you know, and you said remains to be seen, but maybe discuss some of the possibilities with what this weather is going to do for this growing season coming up in, in just a bit. It's the Bob Olin Show. We're going to take a short break, 924 on the KDAL. Once again, Bob Olin. Hey, Bob, is it? did I see this correctly, that they've changed to some of the boundaries of, uh, of the growing zones uh, in the state of Minnesota and elsewhere? Uh, yes, they have, and i got to take a little look at that. It's, it's been a gradual change. Now, these are the plant hardiness zones, just so I can clarify this a little bit. It's got to do with winter hardiness of perennial material, so trees and shrubs, getting them through the winter, you're, you're flowering perennials, not annuals, but perennials. Just how hardy are they going to be? And this is about average uh, lower temperatures, and as those extreme low temperatures on average have risen a little bit, the uh, the plant zones are changing, and we used to have, you know, zone one is the coldest up in the poles, of course, where you got these extended periods of minus 50, minus 60. We had quite a bit of zone two, which was uh, yeah, just down in the range of about minus 40 below, and uh, we don't have any zone two in um, in Minnesota, and there may not be any left in the United States, and then uh, most of uh, the folks in our listing area are now going to be zone three or along the lake zone four or the possibility up in bayfield and believe it or not we've got a few listeners that go to the east there and into the up uh where you've got this bayfield peninsula that juts out into lake superior there may be some zone five out there so these zones are definitely changing and there was a recent uh upgrade that these are all developed by the u.s department of agriculture and they really are just about average extreme uh, low temperatures during the winter months, Tom. That's uh, you know really interesting, and we're, again, we can't even escape what's going on with the weather around here. I, as you mentioned, that we're in, you know, that we saw, you know, evidence of drought going on over the summertime. It's good to see the moisture here, but really, you kind of need that snowpack, right, in order to uh, to uh, avoid well, having drought conditions, right? Absolutely. We'd love to have that. We'd love to have a limited amount of uh, frost. So if I had my druthers, I want a nice blanket of snow on there nice and early to provide the insulation for the plants as well as preventing the frost from moving deeply into the ground. But as you point out, Tom, we're not going to really be able to control much of that. We're going to kind of roll with it. I think that uh, the rather interesting thing, we had a very good growing season. We had lots of sunshine, and, of course, it's light that really drives all of the uh, green plant production we had lots of sunshine we had moderate 
but but warm temperatures, 75 degrees, and uh, actually in the 70s in all three months, both uh, June, July, and August. Those are nice daytime growing temperatures. Then we really like those evening temperatures to drop a little bit because at night you're burning carbohydrates. You, the plant is living, but there's no sugars being produced because there's no sunlight, so you really want cooler evening temperatures. We've had kind of this nice combination, so believe it or not, it was a good year for warm season crops. Uh, tomatoes, they got off to a little bit of a slow start for a lot of folks, but tomatoes were nice. Peppers, as you mentioned, rather remarkable. And uh, we're going to take a little look at uh, some of the peppers and maybe even do a, a little bit more work on some of the hot peppers. There seems to be a, a change in our cuisine just a little bit as people uh, begin to appreciate and add a little bit more heat to their salsas and many of their other other dishes. But tomatoes, sweet corn, peppers, these are all crops. Melons, I haven't uh, done a lot of work with uh, melons lately, but might have to do that. Uh, we've got obviously some good cantaloupe and some smaller uh, watermelon that are very, very nice. So I think that uh, we're moving, maybe we're obviously getting a little warmer. The uh, season is being extended, the growing season. And um, these changes, believe it or not, for us aren't all that bad. It's going to open up uh, a whole host of other possibilities for us as northern gardeners. Uh, if you have the room, and I and I bring this up because, uh, again, I went down uh, to uh, visit my parents down in the Twin Cities uh, for Christmas and over the weekend and uh, inevitably found my way down to uh, my parents' basement down there. And, and you know, they, they've been doing this a long time, that they have a number of annuals that they just continue to grow or store in the basement. Some of them have growing lights. Other ones, they kind of let, the, like the geraniums, they let go dormant, but... Uh, every year they just replant them. They've been doing that for decades with these plants. Is that a normal thing? I mean, is that that's something that you can really benefit from? Because uh, they've got plants all over the basement that they just say they just keep replanting. It made me chuckle when you say, "Is that a normal thing?" We're all kind of scratching our heads and wondering what normal is these days. <laughs> you know, that's that is fun. Uh, takes us all back to another era where people saved a lot of their plant material. You know, we do have kind of a throwaway society in many, many ways, and there's some benefits, I guess, uh, to some of these things, but certainly uh, saving seed. I did a little segment on uh, saving heirloom seed. Uh, You're not going to be able to save uh, some of the new hybrids because they split up and they go back into the parentage, and you may not get the same kind of desirable results that you get from the offspring, but some of the heirloom seed... Uh, it's very interesting times we're in, Tom, because uh, where we're moving very fast into the future, we have many of us that are still uh, maybe rooted in the past and all the real great things about the past. You talk about family traditions. You know, you mentioned some of those plants that uh, they may have kept for years and years. We did talk a little bit about some of the the family, I call them uh heritage plants, uh, plants that have been in the family for years. I've got a few. I've got my mother's jade plant as well as uh, a Christmas cactus that uh, goes back to my grandparents. And uh, these are things that are, uh, you know, kind of take us back to the past and kind of rid us in the past. So what's normal today, Tom? I'm not completely sure. (laughs) Well, I know... I know that, you know, a number of the plants that they have down there are newer. They've been doing it with the geraniums for a long time, and, and their geranium flower beds are just beautiful every year. And it's always 
it's always the same plant. So what is the process of doing that? I mean, what what are they doing? I guess I should have asked them, but it seems like they're just taking the roots and putting them downstairs and letting them lie dormant for a few months. Boy, geraniums are real interesting because uh, geranium doesn't have a storage structure. In other words, there's no big bulb under there, a real thick, fleshy uh, stem that uh, things like a tulip and and uh, some of our lilies and so forth have got these storage structures where there's lots of carbohydrate that get stored. Geraniums uh, have a thick stem but not a storage stem. So basically there are a number of ways that you can overwinter them. And I think it's a great practice both from, you mentioned the economies of giving gifts, uh, homemade gifts at Christmas, but also saving some of your own plants. A lot of, lot of new geraniums out there, and you can actually save them from year to year. Uh, basically, three ways. Keep them growing. Uh, and in many cases, you're going to need a good sunny with southern window, or you're going to need artificial lighting. You can do that for number one. Number two, you could take cuttings and root those cuttings. Uh, geraniums uh, root relatively quickly, so you're starting a, a group of new plants, and you're going to have to take those cuttings again when the plant is still green. And then you can. Uh, the other thing you can do is just uh, store the plant itself, let it go semi-dormant it's not going to be dead but it's going to go dormant and this is where they've just pulled it out of the ground and and that plant is just going to sit there some people will hang them and the plant stays alive on that little bit of carbohydrate or energy source that's in the stem material then we're going to plant those up when the days start getting a lot longer and we move on from there so really there are many ways i think in all situations we have to have a cool basin you mentioned basement uh, the key there, there's not a lot of light except for your artificial lighting, but the temperatures are cool. And where people have trouble now with heated basements, uh, they have trouble overwintering some of these things, mainly because the temperatures are too warm. But you can still continue to grow them out in containers and then move them out in the spring after the, the risk of frost is, has passed. You know, you can cut back your geraniums so you've got them in a container, you're growing them out, they're staying green. We're not talking about those that we just let stand and replant, but these are in maybe a pot and we're growing them out. We can cut those back starting about mid-February and we get just a tremendous amount of new green growth. And from that new green growth, we're all ultimately going to get the flowering. So a lot of the geraniums that we overwinter are going to flower just a little bit later in the season. So what I adopted the practice that I use. I always buy a few new ones every year that are going to flower early for me and then rotate these into this collection that I'm overwintering. And those that I've overwintered and I've cut back will bloom a little bit later. So I get this nice bloom through the entire season and I'm constantly rotating in some new material because like all living things, they eventually decline. And uh, you're rotating in new stock, new varieties every year with those you purchase from a local greenhouse. And they have the advantage, of course, of growing these out under good light, lots of new varieties. So you bring in the new material, and then you follow that up a little bit later in the season with the material that you've saved over the uh, over the winter months, Tom. All right. All good stuff. We're going to take a break again. It's the Bob Olin Show. You can reach us, 218-722-0839 if you have questions for Bob. It is 937 here on KDAL. It was uh, interesting to hear the CBS update that South Dakota is uh, getting loads of snow, so much so that Interstate 90 is closed throughout the entire stretch of the state, if I understood that correctly, with feet of snow. Not just inches, but feet of snow. But it doesn't look like our forecast is going to include that, Bob. And 
It's interesting. We were hiking on Park Point yesterday, uh, which I, I've done a lot in the wintertime, and not a speck of snow anywhere. In fact, it was more, I think, that um, one of the individuals at Northern News Now was referring to it. It was, it was more reminiscent of what you might find in the Pacific Northwest and not central northern uh, United States. Uh, but it's strange weather. Yeah, real strange. Yeah, that that's uh, nice here. You've been out on the point in the winter. That's uh, that's a beautiful, beautiful area to hike at that particular time, and not the pressure from a lot of tourists and so forth. So that's that's really interesting. But I think you know what was going through most people's minds in this area as we drove in the rain and then moved between family in the rain was what if this had been snow? And obviously, right. uh, we would have plenty in there getting that in South Dakota right now. That's uh, pretty interesting for sure. Yeah, that is. So, you know, here we are in the dead of winter, and, and I've ha- I've offered you this question before, but what do people do? What can you be doing this time of year in order to prepare for the upcoming growing season? Because we all get a little itchy, even, even right after it's done. We think, well, okay, so this when are we going to get started, and what what should we be doing right now? Wow, well, it's a good question. I would say being a pretty intense grower during the growing season, what you want to do is relax a little bit. This is meant <laughs> to be fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going to relax a little bit, and we're going, to, we're going to bring back to what I call the joy of gardening. It is one of the most joyful hobbies out there, for sure. That's why it is the number one hobby in North America, so... Uh, people uh, in all kinds of different degrees do engage in this. If it's just a container on the on the back porch, or if it's uh, you know ten acres of garden, people really uh, do embrace this hobby. So, I think that one of the best things, and uh, it's so interesting how early for me at least a lot of the catalogs came through the mail. And you know, it is a digital age, Tom. But you know, this is a huge hobby because uh, I've just got a tremendous collection of uh, very beautiful and I got to be very expensive to print and mail all those uh, seed catalogs but nonetheless they're back in abundance so uh, the hobby must be going on and these seed vendors must be able to justify the expense even in a digital age and i still like the hard copy uh, catalogs but that's one thing well the previous season is still fresh in your mind remember we're not going to be planning really in earnest until maybe mid to late may and that's a ways away. So you think you remember this season and what worked well and what didn't work well. But now is the time maybe just to sit back and reflect a little bit on what you'd like to grow, what grew well, what didn't grow well, and why. And uh, and then try to improve what you've got. Uh, I do think you mentioned economics, uh, the price of food that's been going up. Uh, you know, gardening has so many benefits in so many different ways, but economics which has actually been a little bit of a lower priority, where it was number one during the pioneer days, uh, survival and producing enough food to eat was certainly on uh, people's minds. But uh, it's kind of uh, maybe a a lesser important reason, or it has been to people, but now I think with the price of food going up and better nutrition. You know, you talk about family gatherings. uh, I uh, offered to make a meal for the family as well as I could with a few contributions from others, and I made this one mistake. I asked if anyone had any dietary preferences. It's amazing, even in my rather diverse family, how many vegans we have now and vegetarians and people (laughs) don't (laughs) don't want cow milk. They want coconut milk. I had requests that you couldn't believe, and I was kind of startled and shocked, and I didn't even know what to prepare. I wound up just with a big old taco bar. I said, you could put any old thing on those tacos. 
Then I had one family member that bought their own. I think they were low-carb tacos. So I'm sitting here almost amazement. But in this blessed country that we've got, people have all kinds of uh, nutritional preferences. But the one thing, Tom, that we go back to is a lot of plant-based material, a lot of quality nutrition. We do have uh, a real emphasis on good nutrition in our society right now lots of different options and people thinking about it lots of different ways but i think one of the things the backbones is going back to just real food away from the processed food it's better for your physical health better for your mental health so i think uh, you might want to view that we'll take a look at the edible side of the garden the vegetables and fruits you might view that a little differently as this is the way you can do so many things and uh, part of that is really going to be good planning. With good planning, you can uh, take a look at what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Everyone's got a little different soil types, a little different available sunlight, uh, maybe a little different uh, planting schedules because of your work schedule and other things. And uh, how are we going to make this work? You talk about peppers. If that's important, we've got uh, a lot of good bell peppers out there as well as now some of the hot peppers we talk a little bit of it you're going to make salsa and peppers typically are one of the key ingredients of salsa and maybe these do grow in the containers because as we've talked uh, a good black container they still need heat and heat accumulation and uh, growing those peppers in containers seems to work extremely well uh, I was a little fooled. We did some research on peppers, put them in the ground, put them in containers, used different kinds of uh, polymulches on the soil to enhance heat. And still the real critical driver is how many growing degree days are we going to get uh, from the ma nature out there. And you can grow them lots of different ways if you're careful about variety selection. But back to your original question, Tom, uh, what are we going to grow? Are we going to actually freeze some of these things? Are we going to preserve them? Are we going to dry them? If you really want to gain the maximum economic value as well as nu nutritional value from your vegetable garden, then you want to think about extending the season. You want to think about preserving some of your harvest as well. And then you might want to think about how am I going to get this all done? That's uh, Everything seems to come during harvest time when schedules are busy and you're a little worn out from the season. But uh, I think maybe uh, putting together uh, a calendar might not be a bad idea and then uh, referring back to that as you go through the growing season because we're dead of winter now, although it doesn't feel like it, Tom, but uh, the growing season will be on us very quickly, particularly if you're starting your own some of your own plants from seed. March 1 is the day that I really get going, and uh, that's going to come up here pretty fast for us, Tom. I, You know, a lot of what you're saying really kind of points to that. something that I – I, I think about doing, but I don't do. And really, uh, you need to take notes or in some way, shape, or form about what you want to accomplish. For example, and, and maybe you can get us on the right path here, but developing the correct soil to grow things. Because that, that makes a big difference, doesn't it, on what you've got oh, with the plants in, right? Absolutely huge. It, it starts with the soil, whether you're in a container or whether you're out in the backyard. Uh, soils are extremely critical. Uh, they provide the nutrient availability. There's a textural aspect. Those roots really have to grow to really uh, perform their their function. Uh, soils have to be loose. They have to be open. We've got to, in northeastern Minnesota, we've got to get more organic. Where your folks are, perhaps down in the Twin Cities, they had very good agricultural soils with higher organic levels. 
Uh, farther south we go in the state, again, higher organics that were naturally there. Our, our soils tend to be deficient in organic. Uh, you could still take a soil test now. If you can get a spade in the ground, didn't get that done. We really like to get those done in the fall. Uh, University of Minnesota, University of Wisconsin, certified soil test labs, uh, really a good investment so you know what your baseline information is. Uh, so I think it does start with the soil. If you're in containers, uh, there's so many of these ready-made soil mixes. They're all peat-based, and uh, they could use uh, some additional uh, nutrient availability that we get for mineral soil. So I like to make up for my containers. I like to make up my own mix, which I cut in just a little bit of a sandy loam topsoil that's been pasteurized so I don't have an issue with insects or disease. I cut in maybe 10 or 15% into the peat mixes, and that supplies a lot of the trace nutrients that aren't available in a lot of the peat soils. NP and K are major macronutrients. Uh, our um, soil mixes that you buy in a bag or you prepare from peat, uh, they're generally supplemented with these major and nutrients, but they miss the trace nutrients. So everything is really important. So soils, whether it's in containers or whether it's in your backyard, it all starts with the soil, Tom. So you're right, and I think, you know, you mentioned uh, we should really have a little uh, a better, and I've been uh, asked to do this. I might have to get around to it this year, but uh, a little bit of a, a reference book on growing with timetables and uh, maybe a calendar that goes along with that and a log page so you can make those notes as you go through the growing season. Tom, it's real interesting, and I think the other thing is, uh, you know, you look ahead uh, and I think about the, this last season where I did experience a lot of droughty conditions, had some irrigation, some trickle irrigation, but uh, a lot of it was really what we call dry land farming where I really depended upon the moisture that was available. And uh, there were a lot of things we learned from that, certainly. And we had some areas where we were kind of blank. It was so hot and dry. And we came back and we planned on, on planting and backfilling with, with transplants. And I think that extending the season was remarkable. We had such a warm fall season. We came back in areas that didn't produce because of the drought force. And we, uh, we put in late, uh, late crops of uh, cauliflower cabbage and uh, broccoli and those I uh, didn't know if we'd get them out but they performed extremely well so they kind of uh, saved the season. I even put in some transplant lettuce for a fall crop so when people think of that uh, the value they're going to get from that garden they want to think about uh, that entire growing season so if you really want to maximize the value whether you're thinking in economic terms or just what you're going to put on the plate your plate, your family's plate for good nutrition you want to think about what crops can I get out very early in the spring? Can I come in there with, uh, uh, you know, a good spinach crop uh, that I might have to protect from a frost because we still have a northern climate here, but prepare for some protection. That would be some covering material because spinach grows real well under cool conditions, doesn't like it when it freezes. But we can look at uh, some of the early salad crops. We could follow that up. We call it succession planting. We can follow that up with a main season crop. Uh, that we're going to harvest perhaps in July and in August, and then think about a little bit about that fall season that people tend to forget about. This year is when we had all the rain and very moderate temperatures, and the fall season was a tremendous growing season for uh, many of our many of our northern cool season crops. So I think uh, Tom, you you make a very good point. Uh, we should be just uh, reviewing in our minds uh, what worked, what didn't work, and thinking a little bit about a calendar. We're going to try to optimize maximize and then at some point are we going to do a little canning a little freezing a little drying of, of some of this product so we can 
it's not just about economics. I think when you grow your own, you know, you don't have to worry about pesticides and other things. Uh, sadly, we have the salmonella outbreak on cantaloupe in Minnesota that uh, obviously if you're doing that yourself, uh, you're not going to have to worry about some of these uh, concerns. It's kind of the industrialization of agriculture that's led to some of these uh, difficulties people have had uh, and growers have had with food safety. But you're in your backyard. You don't have to worry about contamination unless you've got a big chicken flock running around. You've got to be a little careful there. <laughs> in most cases, nobody has to worry about uh, any of these issues. So many, many good benefits for, to growing your own economics being one, quality nutrition being another, no pesticides being a third, uh, no risk of foodborne disease uh, being another. So I think that uh, all these things, Tom, we can review in our minds right now. And uh, you got to actually put them down, I think, on paper because they kind of slip away from you as we move through the season with lots of other things on our mind. All right. Well, we've got the home stretch of the Bob Olin Show coming help you here in uh, just a moment. It is 9.53 on KDAL. We're on the home stretch, Bob, and let me ask you sure. very quickly, if you have a, a moment, because we've got just a couple of minutes left, but yeah. you mentioned you know, sending in your soil for a test. What does that involve, and what are you going to learn? Okay. Uh, it does start there. It's very easy to do. Uh, the easiest thing to do right now is just Google University of Minnesota Soil Testing Lab, and up comes their website, University of Wisconsin, that same thing. Up comes the website. It tells you how to sample it, how to send it, where to send it, what what the fees are going to be. And the fees are going to be for your general uh, soil test, which is going to give you, it's going to give you your organic level. It's going to give you phosphorus and potassium. And they typically don't give you nitrogen, which is uh, really key, mainly because nitrate levels change. They're going to be different from uh, when you take that test to when you uh, when you're actually planting. So they'll give you basic recommendations for how much nitrogen to add, but they don't give you the actual nitrate test. You can get it if you want it for an additional fee, but because it uh, nitrogen is very important, they just give you a recommendation. You're going to need it. It's going to be different from uh, when you plan from when you took the test. So that's why people ask, why don't I get a nitrogen recommendation? You don't get it for that reason. Uh, there's available nitrogen in some of the organics, and that's all incorporated into the recommendation. They'll give you a recommendation for nitrogen based on what they see in the organic levels, and it's all it's all there for you. But very simple. Uh, you don't need a soil test bag any longer. You can take a sample even now if you get into the soil, and uh, you can in most cases, and dry it out. You don't need to ship them any water. It's not going to change nutrient levels. But you can send it down to them with your check, and you'll get those results back right now, which isn't a bad idea because in the spring of the year, those those labs everywhere are being pressured commercially as well as by homeowners, and uh, the, it just delays the time it takes to get your, your results back. So it's another good idea uh, that you can do. We can start there. You know, we're going to have a lot of fun when we get into the new year. We're going to talk about some of the new varieties. There are so many out there. You know, Tom, you were involved in uh, in our salsa day, and the one thing that uh, stood out in my mind, uh, actually the winning salsa was not our typical salsa. You know, I think of uh, tomatoes and onions and garlic and uh, the peppers. These are our typical, what they call a red beak salsa, which we think of. That's what's most packaged. But we have six different types of salsas. And actually the winner in our contest was one of the uh, green salsas that featured avocado as well as lime and tomatilla. So the one thing I have not grown for a number of years are tomatillas. And uh, many of the salsas actually use uh, tomatillas as a component 
They're very easy to grow. And uh, I got to get a few of those in my garden this year. So that's one of my notes for planting in the spring, Tom. That's sure. a, I mean, a great idea. I mean, things about you don't even think about perhaps growing, but you see other people having success for them with them. So you think, why not? So, Bob, we, and you know that this, this oh. whole thing's a lot of fun. Gardening's meant to be fun. It provides good nutrition, Tom. Been a lot of fun. It was fun to have you involved in the in our salsa day. That was so much fun. I hate to repeat programs. We might have to try another one of those. We had so many people that entered the contest, and we had so much fun that we might actually do it again with a little different emphasis. So All right, fun top. Thanks very much, Bobby. Appreciate you very much. It is nine fifty nine on KDAL. Your home for Bulldog hockey. Let's go!